Father, as we seek to send the light, as we've considered all that you've done for us and what you currently do for us, Lord, we recognize that we have a role to play. We have a job. We have a mission here on this earth. We're not only here to sing your praises, though great as that may be. We're not only here to experience the joy of living life for you. We're here for a mission, the Great Commission, the call to make disciples of all nations. So, Father, as we consider how we do that, and we consider our role in the social order, pray, God, that you would guide us. Give us wisdom, give us strength, give us all that we need to do your great work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right. Yeah, next time I'll pick hymns that are a little lower for me because <laughs> I almost needed attack. <laughs> we are talking about the Christian in the social order tonight, and I'm not even going to worry about that. <laughs> I was going to, but nope, never mind. We have a job to do. Now, here is, here's the rub. For the last year or so, Churches have been asking questions like, what should we do in the midst of a pandemic? What should we do when there are dangers around us and, and when we're concerned about uh, the safety of our members as well as the safety of our community? What should we do? There have been places where um, here in Alabama, it hasn't been quite as bad. There have been some places where it was even more lax than it was here. No particular mask mandates. If there were lockdowns at all, they were very short term. They were very brief. Um, there are places in the world that didn't lock down at all. Unless you were someone vulnerable, you were encouraged to go out and live your life. Uh, there are other places in the world that are on their fourth or fifth lockdown right now as we speak. There are some states and some places where governors or kings or presidents or prime ministers or whoever the leading authority may be has put down very harsh restrictions trying to contain this virus. And, and churches have had to ask the question, what are we going to do? When a civil magistrate says, you can't meet as a church because there's a danger to public health, what should we do? Let me take this a little bit more out of a context that we're familiar with, uh, put it into a, into a little more general context, Okay. Sometimes it helps. When you're looking at a specific situation, you get bogged down in certain things. But when you look at more generalized, you kind of see the principle at work better. What do you do when the civil magistrate is directly saying you cannot follow the commands of God? What's our role as Christians when that happens? More, more generally than even that, what is our role as Christians within society as a whole? Should we be trying to make all of society fit in and, and, and conform to a biblical model of living? If so, how far should we go? Should we make the Ten Commandments laws, for example? Should we make it illegal to worship another God? Next week, um, we're not having services, but in two weeks, we're going to try to cover two more articles. One is going to talk about peace and war, and that's a very brief article. It's like two or three sentences long. So, of course, I'll make it about 30 minutes. But then, I hope not. I, I really hope not to boo. <laughs> Miss Patsy says boo. <laughs> but um, after that, we'll start on religious liberty. And so we'll take up questions like that. What, how much liberty should the church have? And, and, and 
to what extent should individuals have the right to pursue their own beliefs? Is our role as Christians to be in the world policing everything, making sure that nothing's going wrong? Is our role as Christians to try to guide society toward general principles, but not to worry about particular battles? Because, you know, people are people and they're going to sin and we can't prevent all the sin. But if we can at least have some general principles and we can establish some basic structures of order to society, maybe that's our role. Or is our role to be completely out of it and say, no, that's that's a you guys problem. I ain't fooling with it. God's God's called me to live differently anyway. What's our role? What role do we play as Christians? Well, I gotta be honest with you. Our role is a very complex one, but it's also a very simple one. It's simple in the fact that we ought to be actually doing something to make a difference here on earth. But it's complicated by the fact that we're not going to win every battle. And in fact, we shouldn't be winning every single battle here on earth. We should be winning the battle in the heavens. We should be winning the battle because God's winning that battle. You know, we're guaranteed the victory there, right? We win there. But here on earth, there's an ebb and flow. Here on earth, there's a process. Here on earth, sometimes sin has consequences. Take the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. You know, it actually fell. I was taught in school. I I went to a Christian school. We looked at that vision of Daniel where he sees the statue and there's there's the head of gold and and the the breast is of silver and, and, and the legs are of iron and, and or bronze or whatever and the feet are uh, iron mixed with bronze. The toes are kind of an alloy. And they compared that to the great kingdoms of history, right? You have you have Babylon was the head, and then Persia was the breast, and, and, and the chest, and, and midsection. The, um, you had the, the Greek empire were the legs, and then the Romans were the feet with all these toes branching out, right? Because the Roman Empire, I was told, teachers told me this in school, never really fell. Do you know it actually fell? The Roman Empire is no more. The only vestiges of the Roman Empire that are left are in a little bit of Italy, this little, this little country all of its own called the Vatican. That's about all that's left of the Roman Empire. The Holy See, right? It's S-E-E, not uh, S-E-A. Rome actually fell. It fell to the Visigoths. But what was left of the Roman Empire after that was out in the east, and it fell to the Ottomans in the 1400s. Constantinople fell and became Istanbul. I say that because... We have this perception, we have this view of history that says, well, Rome never really fell and it's coming back. But in all actuality, it fell. And I'll tell you why it fell. Sin. It's it's kind of funny. You can actually trace this through history. Every civilization that has fallen has fallen because of sin. In fact, every single individual who has died in the history of the world has died because of sin. Only one didn't commit the sin himself, but he's, he's not dead now, so... You know, he kind of, he kind of, he died for our sins. He didn't die for his own sin. But other than that, everybody else sinned and died because they sinned. Sin is the number one cause of death. You you get a death certificate. They don't write sin on it, but they ought to. They ought to say, sin by means of heart attack. Sin by means of uh, 
whatever it might happen to be, respiratory failure or sin by means of whatever, fill in the blank. Because that's really the truth. The truth is that sin kills 100% of people. There's a consequence to life, right? And there's a consequence not only individually, but also on civilizations as well. And so we recognize there needs to be something to keep our society from headlong straight into straight into hell in a handbasket, so to speak, right? There ought to be something. There ought to be some kind of means of preventing all of this from going to pot, right? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Everybody raise your hand. You're it. Let's read the Baptist faith message, and then we'll talk about our role in the social order. Um, I say let's read like y'all have a copy of it. Sorry. Um, you can look this up online. Uh, I've, I've, I've told y'all before, but I'll keep telling you. It's on the Southern Baptist Convention website, sbc.net, and just search for Baptist Faith and Message. I think there's a link at the top, but if not, there's like an About Us or something like that, and under that is Baptist Faith and Message. So you can click there and you can read it. Um, you can do a, you can just do a search. Type it into your favorite search engine, Baptist Faith and Message. It'll take you to this page. Um, you also can look up on our website uh, through the sermons, uh, each Monday, it posts uh, the sermon from the day before, from that Sunday before. And so you can see that in there along with some of the notes that I have on, on this. And if it looks nothing like my notes from what I'm preaching, that's because sometimes God just does that, okay? Our role in the social order is what the Baptist Faith and Message says. All Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives and in human society. All right, so we're obligated to do that, okay? What does that mean? Means and methods used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly and permanently helpful only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ, okay? In the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism, every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. We should work to provide for the orphan, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. We should speak on behalf of the unborn and contend for the sanctity of all human life from conception to natural death. Every Christian should seek to bring industry, government, and society as a whole under the sway of the principles of righteousness, truth, and brotherly love. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in the spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. It's a lot of ground to cover. But there's really just a few basic principles in this. Okay, And first is, we must apply the gospel personally. The very first line, all Christians are under obligation to seek to make the will of Christ supreme in our own lives. You can't do jack squat with the world until you've dealt with you. The accidental theologian Michael Jackson once sang, if you want to make the world a better place, take a look at yourself and make that change. I don't know how often he was a theologian, but that time he was. Before we can look at anything else, we've got to apply the gospel personally. We cannot be the right citizens of this earthly kingdom and that heavenly kingdom if we do not first submit 
to the supreme will of Jesus Christ. That's the first step. We apply the gospel personally. That means the man in the mirror has to work that out first. I got to deal with him before I can deal with anybody else. Deuteronomy 10, 12. God speaking to Israel. And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. What does God expect? Get right with him. That's the first step. Once we get right with him, then we can go out. So before we even go to the rest of society, we got to get ourselves right with God. Micah, he has told you, oh man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. God expects us, expects us to make a difference in our world. But we've got to be different first. That's why Jesus said you have to be born again. Your birth, your first birth was so screwed up, you need another birth. Boy, that makes you feel good, doesn't it? But what a difference that second birth makes. By the way, that was Micah 6.8. For those of you who write down those things, I'm sorry. Sometimes I go a little bit too fast, and, and I don't really get the references in. So that was Micah 6.8 and Deuteronomy 10.12. We start by applying the gospel personally. Okay, Then we can bring the gospel to others. Isn't it interesting? That as soon as they say we have a responsibility to make Christ supreme in our lives and in our society, the immediate next phrase is, but it ain't nothing we do is going to make a bit of difference until the gospel. Means and methods, this is Baptist faith and message, used for the improvement of society and the establishment of righteousness among men can be truly and permanently helpful only when they are rooted in the regeneration of the individual by the saving grace of God in Jesus Christ. We recognize, because we're Baptists, we recognize the, the heart is what needs to be changed. You can change the head, but that ain't going to last because somebody else will come along with a better argument, with a, with a more convincing argument. Let me put it that way. Someone else will come along with another argument that, that they'll say, oh, well, that sounds right. I'll just go after them. You've got to get to the heart only the gospel of Jesus Christ can do that. That's the only means. Everything else is all surface level. You can feed a man all as much as you want, and he'll be full, and it's a good work. But until he comes to know Jesus Christ, he won't know true, true satisfaction from his deepest hunger. You, you can do all kinds of things. You take a look at, at, at some, of, some of the things that, that Christians have done through the ages, We've always recognized, we've always recognized that the good work is good work, but it must be in service of the greater work. In other words, we share the gospel to change the life so that the pattern stops. Now, some people are just, life is just hard. But for the vast majority of us, it's our mistakes that get us in trouble, right? Only the gospel can fix us. We apply it pers personally first. Now we take it to others. Uh, Matthew thir uh, 5, verses 13 through 16. You know this passage. Right after the Beatitudes, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. If salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? How do you, how do you make salt salty again? When salt ceases to be salty, how do, you, how do you make it salty again? You can't. There's no way to put it back in there. 
You can't, it's not like you can soak it in something to make it salty again. I've never tried, but I don't imagine salt soaking in vinegar is going to have a very good result. It doesn't work, does it? No. If salt's going to make a difference, it needs to be salted. It's no longer good for anything. If salt doesn't taste salty, it's not good for preserving. If salt doesn't taste salty, it's not good for anything. All it is is just rocks. Little tiny rocks. And all it's good for is to be thrown on the ground. It doesn't even de-ice very well when it's not salty. doesn't even do that. Saltless salt. Well, it just is less, isn't it? Then he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Anybody here hiding a light? Got a light in your house that you just cover up so no one can... Now, there are times, there are times when that light is just too bright. I have a, 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 an alarm clock, and some nights I can't sleep. That light from those little numbers bothers me. I will put something on top of that to make the light go away. I still can't sleep after that, but hey, you know, it's a good effort, right? Light's not meant to be covered. Light is meant to be illuminating, to be shining, right? You're the light of the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others. Say, hey, just, this isn't Jesus saying, you do you. This is Jesus saying, you do me. You be like me. You just be like me. Just, just try to act like me. I'll shine through you. Don't worry about it. I got you. You just obey. You do me. Why? So they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Isn't that interesting that the glory to the Father comes not through us being the light, but through others who see the light? Isn't that interesting? Maybe that's how, maybe that's where our role is in society. Maybe our role in society is to light the way so that others may see the good works that we're doing and glorify the Father. Hmm, maybe we're on to something here. All right. Not only do we bring the gospel to others, shine the light in front of them so they can see, so they can give glory to God. Not only do we do that, but we got to actually act like it too. We can't just talk the talk. We got to walk the walk. We incarnate the gospel toward others. Not just before others where they can see it, but toward them. Showing them what it looks like in real one-on-one relationship. Most of this article deals with this point right here. And it's in all kinds of different ways. Listen, in the spirit of Christ, Christians should oppose racism, every form of greed, selfishness, and vice, and all forms of sexual immorality, including adultery, homosexuality, and pornography. If it's wrong... Don't do it. Is that pretty clear? Okay. Don't need to get any clearer. I think, I think that's pretty clear. But it goes on. Not only is it what we don't do, it's what we do as well. We should work to provide for the orphaned, the needy, the abused, the aged, the helpless, and the sick. In other words, if somebody's in need, we step up and provide for them. Now, we may not have everything they need, but we got something. And we may not have the exact thing that they think they need, but we still have what they really need, the gospel. And here's the thing, though. The gospel doesn't give a kid a roof over his head when his parents are gone. The gospel doesn't do that. The gospel does not fill an empty stomach. I know Jesus said man does not live by bread alone, and he's absolutely right. He doesn't live by bread alone, but bread sure helps. The gospel doesn't help someone who's being abused to find safe shelter. 
just being the gospel. It actually takes somebody living it out. It takes somebody being willing to take that person in. Somebody being willing to, to protect that person. Somebody being willing to get them out of the dangerous situation. Somebody being willing to be the gospel, to incarnate the word of God. You know, Jesus, we talk about Jesus. He is the word of God incarnate. He is God in human flesh. So ought we to be the word of God incarnate for those around us. But love, Paul tells Romans, be genuine. But love be genuine. This isn't just we have to do this. This isn't, well, God said I had a quota to meet. So here we go. This is genuine love. Now, it may not always feel like love. Sometimes you might think these people are just... I, I worked with a food bank um, one time, not not very often, but a couple on a couple of occasions, and there were certain people, and I just, I just knew. I knew they were going from food bank to food bank getting a bunch of food. I didn't... I, I, honestly, I honestly started to feel like they're just gaming the system. Maybe there's some legitimate need there. And they're just taking advantage of what they can get. Maybe there's not a legitimate need. Maybe the need is legitimate, but it just they just gave off this vibe that they're just gaming the system. I do not see anywhere in Scripture that says, but you're allowed to be ugly toward those who are just gaming the system. I don't see that in any verse. Do you, have y'all found that? Now, I've, I've seen wise as serpents, gentle as doves. I've seen that. But I'm convinced. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that if love is genuine, it doesn't matter if they're gaming the system. It doesn't matter. If my love for someone else is genuine, that's going to power through even when they are just trying to get one over on me. And they're still going to see Christ in my actions. I can't help what they do. I can't help it. I can't help what I do. Let love be genuine. Not only do we take care of those who are around we take care of those who have yet to be born around, right? We, we should speak on behalf of the unborn. Why? Because they're helpless. They don't have a voice. But it's not just the unborn. We cannot say, oh, well, you've got to protect the unborn and we should protect the unborn and then not care anything for the one that's already been born. The sanctity of human life covers every moment from conception to death. If you're missing any part of that, you need to go back and reevaluate what God has said. Because he cares for them all. The orphan, the widow, and the unborn. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter where in the stage of life you are. When you are needy, when you are helpless and helpless, and, and you are in a desperate situation, God still loves you and you are still valuable in the eyes of God. And so is every other individual, no matter how terrible they might be or how much they might deserve the position they're in. And we should make sure we should make sure that we hold every single one of them with dignity and honor and respect, even if they don't deserve it from their action. Why? Let love be genuine. Love doesn't get to choose who it loves. Love just loves. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, cleave to what is good, I think is the King James Version. That's how I memorize that verse. Um, Romans 12.10 goes on. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. 
Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. I used to think that was a way of getting back. Those, those burning coals, you know what that was used for? Ritual purification. It's not to get back at him. It's to help him change. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I tell you what, that's such a good passage of scripture. Man. That's a lot to chew on. That's all in Romans 12, 9 through 21. Man, he was just firing them off. I'm pretty sure like the entire church, like every single person got hit by that. <laughs> you know, sometimes you, you hear a sermon and it just hits you between the eyes. Man, he was gunning for everybody. He was buckshot all over the place on that one. Colossians 3, verses 12 to 17, he says, this is Paul again, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving one another. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. But the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. See, we ought to live a little differently. This is why the first step is to put the gospel deep into our own hearts first, it's to apply it to us first, because you can't live like that otherwise. This, you don't live like this until God's really got a hold of you. And then the rest of your life is him trying to bring this to fruition. So maybe that's our role. Maybe not only to shine the light before others, but to demonstrate it by example, to live it in front of them so they experience it for themselves. Should we work in institutions? Yes. But what about, what about things where they say you can't talk about God? Oh, yes, you can. Look, I know a missionary who lived, who has lived a good bit of his life, he and his family, in parts of the world where if they found out he was a missionary, he, he'd be in some serious hot water. Okay? It was so bad we communicated with him. Um, a church that I went to were communicating with him by pseudonyms. He couldn't tell us their actual names. Now, when, when they got there, when they were here, in person, he said, I'll tell you my real name, but you can't tell anyone else. You can't be, you know, you can't put this on Facebook. You can't, no, you know, just because he didn't want to endanger the ministry they were doing. But yet he, he said every, just about every day, he was talking about Christ to somebody. Sometimes it was the same folks that had heard before. Sometimes it was brand new people. Sometimes it was folks he was discipling, but he was constantly talking about Jesus. And these are in countries where you can't talk about Jesus without fear of repercussion. But he's going to talk about him anyway. You know why the church in China 
survived all of those years of China being closed to the outside world? They talked about Jesus, person to person, life to life. By the way, this all goes back to Leviticus 19, love your neighbor as yourself. It's really what all this is, just loving your neighbor. This is what it looks like in practical terms. But all it is is just loving your neighbor as yourself. If you'll do that, you'll find a way to do that in whatever situation you're in. It's what you need to be doing. So yeah, we, we deal with the institutions. And yes, you, you can run for office. And yes, you can talk about God. Even if you're a school teacher and they say you can't talk about God, you can find a way to talk about God. I'm amazed at how many opportunities. I knew a middle school teacher, fifth grade, and she would just tee it up for her students. She was talking about one day, I, I, had, um, I was interim pastor at another church uh, before coming here, and they, uh, we did like a children's sermon, and, and I used a word that was, or I, I, I did something that was just kind of out there. Kids loved it, okay? But um, it was the golden toenail. I don't know if y'all remember when we did uh, the Backyard Bible Club that day, um, I had this toenail. It's in Melissa's office still. It's uh, a like foam board that I spray painted yellow, and I said it's the golden toenail off of Nebuchadnezzar's statue, you know, and it's huge, and you know, and so this is the big toenail off Nebuchadnezzar's statue, and and that whole thing, and, and teaching them about that story in Daniel, and uh, at the next day she went in, and one of the vocabulary words for her class for that week was ludicrous. And she said, I, here, let me tell you what this word means. And she told them about the, um, what I was talking about. And she was just telling them that I had this giant golden toenail and it was ludicrous. It was ridiculous, you know, she, teaching them the meaning of the word. And one of the kids basically says, well, I tell you what, I wouldn't have bowed down to any statue because only God deserves worship. And boom, there it is. In the middle of this fifth grade class, they are talking about worshiping God. And the kid, you know, she didn't say it, but man, she teed it right up for them and they knocked it out of the park. I'm going to tell you something. You can find a way to teach God's word and you can find a way to put the truth in whatever you're doing. You don't have to be quiet. You don't have to be shy. You don't have to run away from the opportunities. They're there. They're all over the place. You just got to take advantage of them. But if you're not living the life, doesn't matter what you're saying. And if you're not saying it, even if you're doing good, you're still not going all the way. Bring your words and your actions together and you'll be amazed at what God does around you. That's, by the way, how we change societies. It's not through winning the presidency, though that can help. Having a Christian president who is living by his moral compass that, that, that from that Judeo-Christian ethic, who is living that out, who is, who is incarnating the gospel as a leader. Man, that would be incredible. I'd love to have that. But can I tell you something? We don't have to have it. If you're waiting for Washington, D.C., don't hold your breath. No, instead, still where we are, because I guarantee you this, it doesn't matter what they try to do. When we are obedient to God, nobody can stop the church. Now, we can stop ourselves and not do what God wants us to do. And that would be a shame. But nobody else is going to stop us. Lastly, and I think this is a good point to make as well. Not only do we do this ourselves, but it's okay to get some outside help too. 
Now, I'm not saying we should contract it out. I'm not saying we should make let other people do it for us. We're the church. It's our job. But, you know, we can cooperate with others for the sake of the gospel. There are some people who are of good faith who actually agree with us on some things. I've been amazed over the last few months, just in the last year and a half. You'd be amazed how many universities, top-tier universities in the world have said, you know, this isn't exactly true what they're saying about this virus. You have people from Stanford, you have people from Harvard, you have people from Oxford, and they're all saying, you know, I don't know about this. Sometimes you will find an ally from someone who's not a Christian. Maybe they're not necessarily gung-ho about everything that we teach, everything that we preach, everything that we seek to live, but they do recognize, you know, murdering people's pretty bad. I think we can all agree on that. We need to be willing to cooperate with those outside of the church. Now, let's hedge that. This is the way the Baptist faith of message says it. In order to promote these ends, Christians should be ready to work with all men of goodwill in any good cause, always being careful to act in a spirit of love without compromising their loyalty to Christ and his truth. If they're asking us to give up a core doctrine of the faith so they can cooperate with us, they're not a friend. But if they're saying, hey, I don't, I don't agree with you on most of what you teach, but I agree with you here. Great. Help us there. Murdering people is wrong. I don't think we should be murdering people. I don't care that you're an atheist. Great. Come on. Let's make sure folks aren't murdering. Let's make sure the laws on the books uh, not only uh, say that murder is bad, but we actually prosecute those who murder. Let's do that together. Somebody says, you know, I, I don't agree with everything Christians teach, but I do think you should have the right to practice your religion the way you see fit. Great, let's work together on it. You know why Baptists have been such uh, uh, such supporters of religious liberty? Because we've so often been the ones that have been the target of persecution. Years and years and years, decades and centuries of persecution have taught Baptists, we need this liberty, so we dare not take it away from someone else. You know, I don't agree with what you teach, but I do. I don't agree with everything you teach, but I do agree with these things. Let's 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 find a way that we can work together for this good end. Maybe I don't agree with that other person about who Jesus is, but if a Jew says, "Hey, there's a need in our community to feed some folks," I think we can say, "Yeah, let's go feed them. Why not?" We just got to make sure that we're not compromising our faith in the process. And if we're not doing that. And hey, let's get let's get let's get as many allies as we can because we need all the help we can get in this fight. Our society is in danger. It's a good thing God put a triumphant church in the middle of that, isn't it? Isn't that a good thing? Some folks that can fight and maybe not maybe not turn every single heart, but it, you know if we can just get enough to get society to stop all that and to turn around and to go in the right direction. Divert it off the course that is going. Maybe, maybe we'll find our job as Christians isn't to berate the lost, but to help them. Romans 5.15, 15.5, excuse me. Ooh, got that backwards. Romans 15.5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of
God. The rest of that chapter, he talks about what Jesus did. He talks about the fact that Jesus came as a, not only a light for Jews, for the circumcised, but also for the Gentiles. He talks about and mentions several verses where it says in the Old Testament, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. In other words, he's not just coming for one group of people. He's coming for all people. And if Christ is able to reach across those barriers, surely his church can find a way to do it too. Again, we don't compromise our faith. We're just looking to live it out. And by the way, you know how some people actually come to faith? Clive Staples Lewis. Good example of this. He's writing books along with J.R.R. Tolkien and they are lamenting the fact that there's just not good literature anymore. Boy, if they, if they had only waited a hundred years, they would have seen a decline even worse. But they were lamenting the fact that there weren't any great works of literature going on, British literature anymore. I mean, you've got the classics in, the, in history of like Beowulf, the epic story of, of a warrior and, and, and his adventures. Some of the classic works of British literature, William Shakespeare, and there's just no one like that anymore. So they both set out in their own way to try to solve that, to try to write good literature, literature that will stand the test of time. For Tolkien, it was the Lord of the Rings. For C.S. Lewis, it was Narnia. In the process of writing these books, the two men are comparing notes. They're asking questions of one another. They're sharpening each other. But they're also debating about this worldview called Christianity. Tolkien is a Christian. Lewis was not. He was an atheist. And sure enough, in working together, seeing the gospel lived out in someone's life, having those deep conversations and trying to disprove what Tolkien was saying about the scriptures and, and what the Bible actually says and that, that trying to prove that this is all a crock, he ends up finding out it's not a crock. And he becomes one of the greatest apologists of the last 500 years for Christianity. God's fingerprints are all over Narnia, Aslan, the ferocious lion king who is not safe, but he's good. The deep magic where someone sacrifices his life for another and is given that life back. Come on. He's plagiarizing. He's writing the Christian story just with different names and details. You see, those, those times of cooperation sometimes don't just turn out to be cooperation. It, it ends up being the way by which we gain someone new into God's family. There are someone, there's someone you know that needs to see the gospel in you. They've, they've heard it, maybe. Maybe they've been to church. Maybe they've been to church all their life and they're living it yeah, not really. They're kind of living like it. They're kind of doing the right things, but there's been no heart change. You really want to make a difference in your world? Make a difference with them. Little by little, bit by bit. You know, you know how, do you know how all of the institutions of this country 
have basically turned away from God? Do you know how that happened? It's called the long march through the institutions. It's a Marxist idea. Slowly but surely, person by person, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, little by little, they gain control. And they're the losers. In the end, they're the losers. They're the ones that are going to lose. Surely we can change life by life by life. Be the people we ought to be. And not just take our institutions back. Because that's, that's, that's petty. To turn this world toward Christ. Y'all, there's a lot of folks who need him. And for us, it's all about the gospel. Because that's the only means whereby men can be saved. Father, I pray that we would be the people you need us to be where we are. Help us be the people that are not only living your word personally, putting it to practice in our own lives, but living that life before others and toward others, helping them to see your love firsthand because of us. And even when it's necessary and when we have the opportunity to gather allies in this fight, to turn society toward you. Lord, we cannot make this heaven on earth. And we're not trying to, but we can make sure your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And we can make sure it's done in us. And we can help to make sure it gets done in more. We can help others come to know you. We can reach out to them and make the difference. So help us do that. And it'd be great to have some wonderful Christian folks in great positions of leadership and doing amazing things. It'd be Wonderful to have our Nehemiah, to have our Paul, to have those leaders that just do your will no matter what. That would be wonderful, but but it starts with us. You're the answer to what this society needs. And your primary mode of work on this earth is through your church, which means we have a job to do. Help us do it. For your glory, for your honor, for your praise, we ask these things. Amen.